Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 26. We covered all of chapter 25 last week and 24 the week before that. We are not going to cover 26 in one sermon. We are going to look at the whole chapter tonight. And then next week we'll look at Christ's commission to Paul, describing the stages of repentance and conversion. And we have one sermon on chapter 27 and I think three on 28. So, we are within five weeks of the end of Acts. And after that, we are going to Philemon, which was possibly written from Rome in the period shortly after Paul's arrival there at the end of Acts. So, we'll go from Acts to Philemon, a long book, to a very short book, and then probably one more short book with Third John, and then we'll figure out where to go next. Acts chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God, night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things. Contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, this I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of those things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both the small and great, 
saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. When he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. When they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing worthy of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to see the majesty and glory of the Son of God. No other thing than what the prophets and what the prophets said from the beginning, that Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, that he would proclaim light to the people and the Gentiles. Father, help us to see the glory and power of the risen Son of God as we look at this passage together tonight. Help thou my weak wit and sharpen my dull tongue. We pray these things in the blessed name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. We saw last week the machinations of the politicians overruled by the wisdom of God, how Festus determined that since Agrippa and Bernice kept staying and staying and staying, that he would have Paul come and testify in order to provide a little variety and also so that he could get Agrippa's name on the report that he had to send with Paul to Rome. So we looked at that last week. And in this chapter, Luke tells us what Paul said. Though Paul is ostensibly sort of just sharing his biography, explaining how he got to the place where he is, the audience is well aware, and of course Paul makes this extremely clear at the end, that his goal is not simply to entertain his auditors, nor is his goal simply to be let off. In fact, he knows that they can't let him off now. He has appealed to Caesar, so whatever he says at this point, he's going to go on a prisoner transport and be shipped off sometime in the near future. So his goal is not so much to get himself acquitted as it is to take this opportunity to call his audience to conversion. Paul has left behind the idea of defending himself and saying, look, I was picked up in a riot. It's not what it looks like. Let me go. He's moved from that to the realization, perhaps, that what he needs to do is simply say, you need to become Christians. 
Here's why you should become Christians. I'm a rabbi who hated Christians. Now I am one. Therefore, this is true. That's Paul's basic point here. Christianity is true. My only excuse, our only excuse, is that Jesus really did rise from the dead. The message we proclaim drives the behavior we engage in, and the message we proclaim is a true message. And that's really our only justification. Our only defense is that Christ is alive. So Paul speaks, he introduces himself to Agrippa, I'm happy to answer for myself because you understand Judaism. Agrippa was part Jewish. He was a descendant of King Herod the Great. And he had a thorough knowledge of Jewish customs, controversies, texts, and so on. And of course, Paul mentions that here. He calls Agrippa an expert. This is somebody who will actually understand Paul's story. So he says, therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. He says, I'm going to defend myself against the Jews' accusations. Now, the Jews are not there to present their accusations. Paul is simply speaking to Agrippa in a general way. Paul's points are basically boiled down to three. The first is, I share Israel's hope in the resurrection. He describes a little bit of biography. I lived among the Jews. I was a Pharisee. But the basic point, verses 6, 7, and 8, it's about the hope in God's promise. The reason I'm here is that I believe God's promise was fulfilled. God said he would raise the dead. All 12 tribes believe this. Now, 10 tribes had been lost for centuries, but Paul highlights the fact that this is not some fringe doctrine believed by some renegade Jews on the margins of polite society. This is something that all Jews believe. This is basic to Judaism. This is like saying no pork. This isn't something you're going to find Jews pushing back on. Paul insists to Agrippa. Now, Agrippa would know. Agrippa understands Judaism. So Paul says, here's the thing. Here's my reason for my hope. We all, all Jews, have this hope. This is our birthright. This is Judaism 101. In other words, what is Paul's complaint? My adversaries, the people who are accusing me, it's not that they're more Jewish than me. They are not Jewish enough. If they were really Jewish, if they understood one of the basic principles of our faith, they would believe in the resurrection of the dead. This is something that Jews believe in. I believe in the resurrection because I am a Jew. I stand, I am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. Paul actually has an outburst in verse 8. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? You're Jewish enough to believe this, Agrippa. Why on earth are you questioning this? Paul's point is simple. This is not hard, people. This is not some crazy new idea. This is something our people have believed, taught, written about, preached about for many, many centuries. 
So he appeals to Agrippa, not on the basis of New Testament revelation, as we would call it, but strictly on the basis of Judaism. Judaism teaches the resurrection of the dead. If you're Jewish, you know this. In fact, if you are truly Jewish, Paul dares to say, you believe this. He then moves to his next point, which is how he became an emissary of Jesus. Jesus commissioned me on the road to Damascus, and he tells the story of his conversion. I thought I needed to do many things against Jesus. He describes his campaign as a persecutor in Jerusalem, even in foreign cities, compelling people to blaspheme against Christ. Thus occupied, went to Jerusalem, the light shone, they all fell to the ground, and he heard the voice saying in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. An ox goad, they didn't have the electric cattle prod in those days, they just had a stick with the iron point on the end, and when the cattle wouldn't go, you just jabbed them with the stick and made them walk forward to try to get away from being poked. Jesus says, you're kicking the iron point on the end of my cattle prod. It's not working for you. Why are you doing this, Paul? Paul said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus. The very thing Paul was not planning to hear. All Jews believe in the resurrection. But this was not something all Jews believe in. This was Paul's point of departure from Judaism as he understood it, as he freely acknowledges to Agrippa. The reason, in other words, that Paul is saying, I believe in the resurrection of the dead, is that I had a conversation with Jesus that day on the road to Damascus. I know he's alive because I spoke to him. And he was alive. That's why... I believe that God has fulfilled his promise to raise the dead. I have spoken to someone who died and came back to life. That's what Paul says. So we'll talk next week more about the words of the commission and especially the process of conversion outlined in verse 18. The method of evangelism that Jesus gave to Paul, which I believe is a step-by-step method, first opened their eyes, then turned them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, In other words, these are not all parallel things or parallel ways of describing conversion. These are sequential steps in the process of conversion. We'll talk about that next week. Paul winds up this point by simply saying, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I saw Jesus. I found out that he's alive. That confirmed my longstanding belief in the resurrection of the dead. And therefore, I obeyed the vision. I preached in Damascus, which Luke has already recorded to us. Damascus is where he was converted. Damascus is where his preaching career began. And then he highlights all these regions in Agrippa's territory. In Jerusalem, throughout the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I've preached in your territory, King Agrippa. This news, this was not something I chose to do. Per se, this is something the heavenly vision sent me to do. So Paul says, this wasn't my idea, this was God's idea. For these reasons, the Jews seized me and tried to kill me, but 
Paul almost skips over that. Is it? Yeah, I'm a prisoner right now. I'm wearing chains. That's only because I was attacked by Jews. But honestly, my goal is to witness to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. Paul hasn't departed from the Old Testament script in the slightest. The prophets, Moses, that is his bread and butter. That is what he preaches. And this verse, the climax of Acts, that the Christ would suffer that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So what is Paul's basic message? Suffering of Christ. Well, that God has an anointed one, the Christ. He suffers. He is the first to rise from the dead. So notice that this is not Jesus is the only one to rise from the dead. No, Jesus is the first of many who will rise from the dead. The language elsewhere used in the New Testament, the first fruits of the resurrection. Everyone in Christ will rise from the dead. He is simply the first to do it. And he is the proclaimer of light. That is the one word that sums up the Christian message. Light. Darkness is ended. The light has shined in the darkness and overcomes the darkness. Paul says, this is my message. This is what I have to say. I've preached it everywhere in your dominions and also among the Gentiles, O king. So his speech ends there, partially because Festus interrupts him. Paul, you are out of your mind. Much learning is driving you mad. I was talking to my grandmother one day back when I was in seminary, and I was explaining something to her, possibly Calvinism, a doctrine she never embraced. And she interrupted my explanation, which may have been a little long-winded, with the words, Caleb, Caleb, your great learning is driving you mad. I said, wow, well, Grandma, considering who that was said to last time, I will take it as a compliment. Paul essentially has to interrupt or correct the governor and say, I'm not mad. These are not the ravings of a fool. And then what does Paul say? I wasn't talking to you, Festus. We've sat and talked on numerous occasions over the last couple of years. And so, you know, no, I'm not talking to you. I am speaking things that a Jewish man will understand. That is who I am talking to. I'm talking to King Agrippa over here. Thank you very much. This happens to us all from time to time where we say something and somebody says, what? And you say, here's what I said, but I wasn't talking to you and so what I said makes no sense to you. Well, that's what Paul has to tell Festus at this point. The king knows these things. Paul had the boldness to say in chapter 25 to Festus, to the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. Now, he says to the king, well, he says to Festus, I know that the king knows these things. If Paul knew something, and he knew that you knew it, He really didn't care if you were a king or a governor or somebody who could 
make him pay a price. He just said, you know this, and I know you know it. We're not going to play games here. No sense playing ignorant with me. King Agrippa, you can't play dumb. Festus, you can't play dumb. I've called your bluff. I know you know. So Agrippa is familiar with this Christian story, says Paul. This is not news to him. This has been much talked about. One of my favorite verses early in Luke, where it says all about how the angel came and so on. And then Luke adds, (laughs) all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. Mm -hmm. Right? They wanted to talk about this stuff. Did you hear the latest? Well, Agrippa knew the truth about Jesus. This thing was not done in a corner. Christian ministry, Christian message has always been public. We stand firmly against the esoteric, those who say, oh, there's secrets, there's initiation rites, you have to pay money to learn more about these special truths. Christian faith is the opposite of all of that. Agrippa knew the truth. It was not done in a corner. And then Paul shows his true goal, the conversion of his audience, because he confronts Agrippa directly with the claims of Christ. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And rather than waiting for the king to answer again, he says, I know you believe. You can't lie to me, Agrippa. I understand that you are a devout, practicing Jewish man. You read the prophets, you know what they say, and you believe that they are telling the truth. And therefore, don't lie to me. Don't tell me that you don't believe the prophets. Paul is not afraid to use high-pressure tactics. Now, part of the reality of that, of course, is the situation here. Paul is standing in chains before a king and a governor who are sitting on their judgment thrones looking down on him. In terms of power dynamics, Paul essentially is going to be on the lower end of that totem pole no matter what he does. It's not wrong for him to try to pressure these men into admitting the truth because he doesn't hold all the cards. He's not the grand inquisitor sitting on the throne saying, do you believe? I know you believe. He's the prisoner who has no cards except the truth. The truth is on his side, and that's all that is on his side. And Agrippa changes the subject. He dodges the question, right? He wasn't a politician for nothing. You almost persuade me to become a Christian, as the King James and New King James translated. What Agrippa actually said is a little bit hard to translate from the Greek. There's various renderings out there, but I think the best one is probably something like Agrippa saying, I'm a little persuaded. If somebody tells you they're a little persuaded, what does that mean? They're not persuaded. To say, I believe you a little bit, is the same as saying, I don't believe you. Well, that's where Agrippa is. I'm a little persuaded, and Paul says, a little or a lot, I wish all were like me. I wish you all were as devout a Christian as myself, except for these chains. 
Are you a little persuaded? Be a lot persuaded. Don't just be a little persuaded. Paul ends the conversation with a prayer for the conversion of his audience. I would to God that you would become Christians. He shows his cards. He doesn't pretend that his goal is anything other than their conversion. He doesn't say, well, I would just like to see you living a more decent, happy, prosperous life. I'd just like to see a greater measure of human flourishing, whether that's religious or non-religious, whatever terms you understand that in. I would just like to see you move your life in a positive direction, Agrippa. He doesn't say that. He says, I want you to be a follower of Jesus like myself. Now again, part of that boldness and freedom of speech, I would say, is his status as a prisoner. He's free to use the pressure tactics of the altar call because of where he stands. He's not abusing his power in the lives of Agrippa and Festus. He has no power in their life. Rome's verdict, Paul is totally innocent. They all stand up, talk among themselves, oh man, there's nothing wrong with this guy. Right? Easy for them to say now that he's going to Rome and he's off their hands. It costs nothing to make that determination, especially Agrippa's final words. This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Is Agrippa saying, Festus, you're an idiot? I mean, I hope he is. But it's not clear whether Agrippa is saying, Festus, you're an idiot, or if he's just saying, oh man, that was kind of a cool guy. I wish we could hear more from him. What is Luke's point? Why does he tell us this story? I think he's showing us, in Paul the prisoner, something about the position of the church. That our only defense is proclamation. The church can't defend itself in any other way. Paul doesn't defend himself by appealing point by point to Roman justice. He's already done that, and he's found that that doesn't work. Paul can't defend himself by jumping on the world's bandwagons and saying, what, I'm a Jew, I'm a zealot, I don't believe in Roman occupation, death to the invaders, let's clear this land of Romans. He doesn't align with that faction of Judaism, nor does he go the other way and become Caesar's bootlicker and say, Caesar is the most wonderful thing, Caesar is Lord, let's let's worship Caesar, Caesar is our God. He doesn't do that either in an attempt to save his own skin. Rather, Paul says, Jesus is alive. All I have is the truth. I don't have status. I don't have political clout. I don't have anything more than the truth. The same is true today. The church will never prove its relevance by joining one political faction or another, by aligning ourselves with the forces on the left or the forces on the right. We're not going to attract people by getting involved in things that the world turns to to protect itself. Rather, all we have is our mission of proclamation. We are here to be the minister and witness of the things we have seen and the things that Jesus has revealed to us. That's the message of this chapter. 
Paul stands before the politicians. He doesn't defend himself in political terms. He defends himself entirely in religious terms. I am here witnessing to small and great that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, that he would proclaim light to his own people and the Gentiles. That's the message that Paul had, and that's the message that we have to have. And if we lose that message, we've lost our identity, our purpose, our existence. The kingdom is certain because Jesus reigns, and therefore we defend ourselves by proclaiming that Jesus reigns. We won't get anywhere by hiding our faith. In one sense, the lower our status the less power we have in worldly terms, the more forthright we can be about that. The church that is all-powerful in society and says, believe, or you are persona non grata here, maybe doesn't have the same freedom as the church that, like Paul, is a prisoner, is in chains before the powers that be, and there says, believe. We are armed with the truth And if that's all we have, that's all we need. That's all Paul needed. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to witness, to see the truth about Jesus, to experience him in our own lives, and then to testify to that truth as we have opportunity. Lord, we thank you for the pressure that Paul put on Agrippa to believe. We pray that you would give us the guts to encourage people to believe, to speak boldly, freely, and accurately concerning Christ. Help the church as a whole to witness, to proclaim the truth that Jesus is Lord. Help us not to get caught up in the world's means of defending itself, but to recognize that our one and our only defense is proclamation of the truth about the Son of God. We pray these things in His name. Amen.